Welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and this is our Wednesday show, where we niche down to a single topic, think about a question, and unpack the rest. This week, we're asking, how do we balance community and capitalism? Community is a topic we've been talking about on Equity forever. I think one of our past show titles was actually Community is the New AI. So you all know it. You know it's a buzzword. And I've brought Alex Wilhelm on to kind of grow the conversation. We all get community. How do we actually balance it? Well, it's funny you bring up the AI subject line because the gist there, if I can think back that far, was that AI was this hot thing everyone talked about. Everyone wanted to have an AI component to their product, have an AI TLD. And then suddenly it seemed like overnight there was this vibe shift, if you will. And suddenly everyone was riffing about how community was the new thing, the new hotness. And so we've kind of seen that wave come, Natasha. And then today where we are is how much of that was a little bit too much? Who needs a community? Can you balance it with capitalism? So this is kind of like the aftermath, if you will, of the party. And we're looking around the detritus trying to figure out what's worked and what hasn't. Perfect. Perfectly said. The natural arc of something that becomes an obvious or at least becomes the big thing is to see what we can actually learn from it, even if it kind of fades into everyone's strategy a year from now or maybe looking back has always been part of their strategy. So today we're going to start with a news peg, which is great. We have Epic Games buying Bandcamp. Alex is going to walk us through that as well as a three views we had on TC Plus about it. Then we're going to get into a bunch of questions such as what happens to a community when it's bought overnight? Why? even though it's a buzzword that we all know and love, it still is one. And then we'll end with tensions and how to really think about the balance that we all strive for. I absolutely love it. So on the Epic Games Bandcamp tie-up, as a bit of context, I am a gamer. I'm also an enormous music fan and I had no idea what this deal was for. <laughs> so essentially Epic Games is a company best known for titles like Fortnite and inside of the technology space, apart from gaming, best known for picking a fight with Apple over essentially app store fees and really kicking off what you might call a global conversation about how much of a walled garden should exist in the app store world and exactly how much of a rent can app store owners like Google and Apple charge on a reasonable basis for access to it. Bandcamp, hard right turn, in <laughs> contrast, is a music service where artists can sell their tunes for a very minimal fee and on Bandcamp Fridays, famously, the fees are waived. And so a lot of more niche genres and more niche artists that may have perhaps a strong, if small, fan base use the platform as a way to monetize their music apart from the major streaming platforms. So you're asking me, Natasha, how do those go together? Well, the, the only thing that I could really come up with, and I tried to hit on this a little bit in the TC Plus piece you mentioned, is that, okay, look, Epic Games wants to break down barriers between platforms and make things more generally fair for creators, and Bandcamp kind of does that for music, so you can kind of, <laughs> I could draw you a path from here to there. It just doesn't feel 100% direct, you know? Yeah, it definitely seemed more of like an ethos alignment than a strategy alignment, but- Well said. I mean, I still think, like, if I think of a game like Fortnite, which is just a household name for me as a non-gamer, and that getting into an indie music scene, there obviously are some worries. And so the announcement and I guess its immediate aftermath probably raised a lot of questions for you when you were trying to decide where Bandcamp lives in the Epic Games ecosystem going forward. Did you get any answers, I guess, now that it's been over a week since it first happened? 
We know a little bit. So I think it's going to be run kind of as a separate group. And what that means is it should be able to maintain some of its autonomy, some of its independence and so forth. You know, as an example about this really close to home, TechCrunch has been a subsidiary group of every major corporation, it feels like by now. (laughs) And we have worked to defend our independence and our own, I don't know, position on the world, our own voice. And so there's some historical precedent for Bandcamp finding a place inside of the Epic Games universe in which it can do its own thing. And you can even say maybe there's an acceleration that could happen. Uh, Natasha, I mean, you're not a gamer, but you probably heard when I think it was Travis Scott did a concert inside of Fortnite. That was a big deal. Yeah, totally. I mean, you can see that Epic has been thinking about how to use the fact that it does attract communities and it is a place where communities can live in different ways. I wouldn't ever put, yeah, Travis Scott and a video game together, but I guess in the same way, like we saw them maybe flirt with the idea of working with music, seeing how people showed up and now really verifying it, establishing it with this acquisition. Another thing I'll throw in at this point is when you think about music and video games as a point, they're not as far away as you'd think. For example, the Doom soundtracks are on Spotify. Mick Gordon is a musician and a composer who wrote the soundtracks for Doom. And they're actually relatively influential inside of the heavy metal community for some stylistic notes that he brought to not only the game, but also just to heavier music in general. And we're seeing things like, you know, AAA title games have whole symphonies hired to record soundtracks and so forth. So there is an increasing musical component in games. There is some sort of platform kind of like tie-up that you can see. But really the question is, what happens to Bandcamp's community when it ends up as a pimple on the butt of a Leviathan like Epic Games? Wow. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Maybe that... We don't script out what we say. Sometimes we say things that we wouldn't put in the script. (laughs) (laughs) I I think you're absolutely right, though, in calling that out as a tension that they're going to have to answer. And I actually do think them keeping Bandcamp Fridays maybe was them giving a little bit to the community just to say, kind of like when the New York Times bought Wordle and the Wordle community was broken, they were like, we're going to keep your streaks. With Bandcamp, they're going to keep Bandcamp Fridays. But I think Amanda Silberling on our team brought up a good point on this, and it really ties it back to community, which is big money plus big tech equals skeptical artists. The precedent of big tech getting involved with these really earnest human artist first marketplaces isn't looking too great when you think about Google buying YouTube and Spotify buying Anchor and then, you know, having really horrible payouts. So I think that we are in a time where there's been enough conversation and examples that hopefully this does empower the Bandcamp community a little bit to make noise and push them to keep certain aspects of it alive. Yeah, the question isn't really what can Epic bring to Bandcamp versus kind of the other way around is how I think about it because one company is so much smaller. The question that I'm kind of thinking about in kind of more granular terms is like things like the Bandcamp Daily, their publication. You know, how much freedom do they have to keep doing their thing? And can Bandcamp keep its, I mean, I'm going to say this politely, relatively anti-capitalist ethos to some degree here inside of Epic, which is definitely a for-profit corporation with a history of making lots and lots of money and a translation of the Bandcamp community into the broader Epic Games business sense. And if there has to be a translation or if they'll be kept sufficiently distinct as do not need that. And if that's the case, then why buy them? And so that's when I get a little worried. Totally. I think at this point, we should also bring in the broader need for a lot of startups right now to be thinking about community as the market recorrects, as as crowdfunding rises and even as like distributed work continues to be distributed work, I think a lot of companies are looking for growth hacks 
a lot of people are hiring head of communities. I think like Twitter, Twitch, Amazon, Microsoft, they're all hiring for community roles. I think TechCrunch as well has worked on that part of our business. And I think in that way, I see community and acquisitions in that space really to be a way to increase who your end customer is. It's hard to not think of it that way. It's hard to think of it as like just a long game of wanting to support people who care. In some way, you investing in your community only matters if one day they eventually pay you back, help you out in some way, right? Is that overly cynical of me? I never know. (laughs) No, because we're talking about corporations. So cynicism, I think, is kind of part and parcel. And so we have to have that. So why are people building communities now and why are they important to startups? I think I have a very cynical take on this. So Natasha, tell me if this is too far, but here's my read. There was a time when buying ads on social properties was pretty inexpensive. You could buy ads on Facebook, you could buy ads on Instagram, you could buy ads on Twitter and people on Snap as well. And people did this and they could really access a lot of eyeballs pretty cheaply. And then everyone figured that out. And then everyone started to buy those ads. And then shockingly enough, as the demand went up and supply was relatively stagnant, (laughs) the prices rose. Right. And so suddenly this lever into essentially getting people to care or know about your product was diminished or made increasingly cost prohibitive. So what do you do? Well, you turn on the human emotion gun and try to build a community because it's a way to at once advance your brand. It's a way to acquire customers perhaps more cheaply. And then critically, I think it's also a way to combat retention by keeping users engaged. So if you're a startup and you need to preserve cash and grow, community might appear to be a way to that without really having massive cost outlays or giving your entire Series A to Meta Platforms, Inc. And I think that that has worked medium overall. I think you're spot on in that analysis. The only thing I'd add is it's not a bad thing if your community effort is for the reason of eventually saving money, making money, thinking about money differently. And I think that may be where we're at today, which is this awareness that you can't just be a community for community's sake. You can't just be a community for capitalism, but you kind of have to be somewhere in the middle, a Goldilocks situation. I guess like I over-index on being this person that's like, but but why eventually monetize? But now I'm kind of rethinking. It's not bad. You just have to be transparent if you're going to monetize and you have to over explain. I mean, I wrote about Lolita Tobb's new fund today and she really made a name for herself and continues to make a name for herself by leveraging community. And she actually said that she's in VC because it is the only industry where she can lean on her skill set of combining community and sales. It's that straight up. It is the only way that she's able to use the fact that she knows people and is good at connecting people in a way that works and can make her money and other people money. And I kind of appreciated her saying that community wasn't just a her happy-go-lucky attitude, but was really something that she considers a value add. I mean, honestly, I mean, that sort of way to think about picking a job makes a lot of sense to me because I love posting and curiosity. And so journalism. You know, there you go. But she's not the only person who is kind of doubling down on community in the last couple of weeks. We've also seen uh, Juked.gg, a platform that was built. I've covered their crowdfunding round in the company a couple of times. They built a a central hub, if you will, for esports information because it's a very fragmented space. And so it's hard to figure out, even if you like a particular title or or game, to figure out what the hell's going on with the European leagues and the Korean leagues and whatever. So they built a hub and then they kind of built community around that. And then they asked their community, what would you like us to do next? Because they were seeing some plateauing in their numbers and they did a build building a social network with a focus on niceness, which was fascinating. And that came out a couple of weeks ago. And I was talking to Ben from over there, also known as Fish Sticks, if you're into gamer tags. <laughs> and he was pretty positive about the reaction to it. So that was actually not a bolt-on community, but actually a pivot more deeply into the concept of community. I quite liked that. Yeah. What is his goal with starting that? I guess to me, that is like something really nice to do for users. Did he share about how that becomes a business strategy eventually? Or is it kind of a side note? 
No, no, it's a great, that exactly what I asked. I'm like, so how do you make money off of this? Yeah. Because social networks are famously profitable at scale and famously unprofitable when they're niche. Right. And uh, he was like, we'll figure that out. And I was like, baller. <laughs> like, no, no, we'll I mean, like, 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 no, I mean, some people love to blow smoke about how they're going to do stuff. And some people are like, this is the right move for the community. This is what they want. They've told us this. We're going to build it and then we're going to scale it and then we're going to figure it out. That's why venture capital exists. It creates a period of artificial gravity before you have to have your own center of mass. So I'm, it's good for that. I mean, yeah, if I was a founder today and I had even 500 users, I would spin up a crowdfunding campaign. I would see if it works. I don't think it hurts to involve your community. It only gets that way when a community feels used. And I personally, I don't know about you, I have I haven't felt used by any communities, but I have felt maybe misled in a way. When mm. Republic was first popping off, which is a platform where a lot of people go for equity crowdfunding, a lot of the campaigns were getting basically... I was getting DMs about a lot of campaigns of people being really pissed about how misleading VC founders are being about the returns on this potential investment that someone like you or me could put money into. That I think that's where the example you just gave with Juked is they're not going to immediately take money from you so you can build up that trust over time. It only gets tough when you're immediately trying to monetize. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And the way that I think about it, kind of going back to your Goldilocks balancing beam analogy, is that if you do have a community and if you are going to hopefully extract value from it down the road, let's be clear, corporations, that's what they do. It's not, no one gasp, you know? Uh, <laughs> but, but I think you also have to be willing to make a long-term continued investment of time and also listening to the community. You can't just have a community and then extract rents from it because it's going to quickly deplete and go away. And then you'll have a community outside your company that hates you. And so that's not very good. For Juked, making this decision to pivot to social network, you know, Ben told me they went out and talked to the users, collected the feedback, and then built them what they wanted. That's a great way to go about this. That's real community. It's like community first strategy. We've been hearing it, but this feels like an obvious example. Absolutely. But you have to then kind of listen to what your community tells you. So if you build a community and you don't want to listen to what they have to say, don't build a community. Be Apple. Just announce stuff. Great. That's fine. But if you want to have a community that's attached to your business, definitely, I think there has to be, is it give and take that I'm trying to work my way towards here? Yeah. It has to be like, yeah, you can't just shout and be like, we have one, but then not <laughs> listen. So I think you're, you're spot on there. And I, well, I was talking to Mac Redden of Comsor, which was actually the first company that really talked about community to me. Yeah. which is just like a data point in and of itself. They just recently raised a Series B, I think. Series B. And when did you first talk to them? Because that's the... Yeah. Tell me that. Because that puts a timestamp on when this became part of our conversation, if you will. Nearly one year ago. So February 20th, 2021. First time I talked to them, they raised a Series A. And now, one year later, they raised a Series B at a $450 million valuation. Can I, can I just say it's really funny? Because you just made a very slight error. Oh, no. And I think it's indicative of where we are in the world. You said just, I think it's like just under a year ago, February 20th. That's more than a year ago because it's March now. Oh, my God. Somehow. We're broken. Yes. I'm broken. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're, you're not broken. We're all broken when it comes to time. <laughs> I, I only flagged this because it was a, a completely non-controversial error, but it just goes to show how weird the world has been for two years. It's weird. It's yeah. Time is a construct as our producer Maggie just chatted us. Like that is the truest statement, but I bring up Comsor because they were the first ones that were like, community is a big deal. Give us attention. And now a year later, they're like, okay, community is a big deal. Everyone slow down. Like you actually don't have a community, even though you're saying that you have one. And Mac, their founder really told me in the most recent interview is that even though they haven't seen big changes with the market correction yet, they think that they're going to see more companies care about authentic growth as the fastest way to make a buck quote as the VC money printer slows down a bit. So as we're talking this through, I am thinking of community as kind of a thing that companies can do to de-risk themselves. 
themselves from this moment as well. Even though it's kind of like, if you're going to open yourself up to vulnerability, you should react to it. It's one reason why the strategy might be popping off more than it used to. Just the fact that things are changing. Yeah. And just going back to my riff earlier about ad spend versus kind of user growth, if suddenly the VC money printer, as they said, slows down and it doesn't go brr quite as much as it used to, well, you're going to have to find a way to what we used to call growth hacking. That Mm -hmm. seems to have gone out of vogue as a term, but essentially find a way to generate attention outside of taking money and slapping it on the table. And community is going to, I think, appear to be the way to do that for many folks. Hence, ComSource saying, slow down, slow down. But I don't think it's going to stop people because everyone's in a rush in the venture world, just kind of by definition. I think we're going to see a lot of people try to spin up a Discord or spin up a Slack room or do something else that's a bit more involved, perhaps, and fail. Because it's much like publishing. Don't mean to you know, build yourself up, but like, it looks easy. You put a website, you write on it, ta-da. It's, a, it's, it's hard, actually. And easy things are often hard. I think the boundaries are really what Sarb should be thinking about right now. Not every company needs to have a community immediately or ever in a way. And Mac, when I was talking to him, had said something like, if you can't tell me why it exists and why would a member join, if there's not an answer to it, why are you doing it? Basically, just because you have a product that people talk about doesn't mean that you have a community that they should be Uh. a part of. Um, And I think that's such a nuanced place to realize. I would screw that up. That's an easy thing to screw up. The thing about Notion, and that's just me projecting, I think Notion's actually a Comsore customer. So like, think about Notion. Notion has gone viral on TikTok. Gen Z is obsessed with it as like kind of their aesthetic OS to their life. I think about the fact that people want to talk about them naturally. But if that even is something that's cool and easy to use is not enough to create a community, what really is? So I don't know, just having people who like to nerd out about you isn't enough to spin up a discord. No. So then what is like, that is maybe where we should end this conversation. What are kind of the guardrails and reasons you should start a community? Well, fans are not a community. They're fans. You can build a fan club, but like even that's a point that just having discrete numbers of fans is not exactly the same thing. I think we're seeing kind of like how to go about this, the pros and cons, and they're off really shown by public, the Robinhood competitor. Yeah. And they've been big on working to engender a community. That's been their jam. They have a weekly like live stream. They bring people on to talk about the stock market. I actually was a guest once because frankly, I, I wanted to try it out. Yeah. So like, it was my excuse to like download public, sure. make an account, show up and talk to people. Basically, if you offer me a microphone, I'll show up. I'm a media whore. Same. What can I say? Yeah. It's, I, I, I like talking, you know, hey. But they're a company that's betting a multi-billion dollar valuation on essentially the long-term salubrious effects of community. And that's a big question point that I have. But Natasha, I feel like I have alighted what you asked me in particular to make my public point. So where were we before I ran away into my own little corner? No, I think public was actually a great example because they were kind of doing what Robinhood is doing, but more community branded. Oh, Yes. In a way. But I guess like the last bucket of questions or thoughts that I want to think about is what are the reasons you should start a community? That's option one. The other rabbit hole we can go down is when can you tell that a community is healthy and makes sense for a business? Do you have a preference? Well, let's take them in sequence, I feel. Uh, So who who should build a community, essentially, or for whom is this for? I think it's for people who have a product that has benefits from discussions amongst users past what the company can hope to answer. And so essentially, if you use something that is sufficiently complex or nuanced or human driven that no user manual or dev wiki is going to be able to solve, a community may have a place because it allows people to bring their questions, problems, and solutions together and then collaborate and actually have interactions that are not just pointed back at the company, but in amongst themselves. That's my rough draft first read of how to answer that question. I'll take it. 
the thing I'll add is it's for founders who have chosen to build in public, but in a serious way. There are certain Mm -hmm. kinds of companies where building in public really makes sense because it adds trust. It adds transparency. I think if you're a fintech, building in public is really interesting because it's such an emotional topic to be talking about openly. And so if you're that kind of company and believe in the power of that versus going to stealth and we won't respond to press route, then yeah, you should have a community. You should be the Alex, you once talked to someone who tweeted out their revenue once every few weeks or, or something like that. I was like just, that. just thinking about them. That was uh, the copy. They were using GPT-3. Yes. Copy.ai? I literally thought copy.ai too, so... Maybe that it is copy.ai. Natasha and Alex get five points. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have, but we don't, I don't, I, I was about to say a cocktail with lunch. I'm going to have an extra espresso with dinner. I don't I'm know. I'm going to finish my cold brew before noon. <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess I think with those companies, that feels really natural. But if you as a founder are needing to be convinced on how this will eventually have a return of investment or are needing to be convinced on hiring people who just spend time engaging with your community, I feel like it may be too early for you because, I mean, I don't think I'm ready to have a Natasha Discord and I, I because I don't think I would know what to do with it. And I think just I, getting people in a room and then kind of letting them run wild makes no sense. Equity I, I, could have a community. They should actually have a community. Okay, so first of all, I would join the Natasha <laughs> Discord because it would be, it, like, all of your friends are like, are fun people. You know, like you have a generally mentally healthy fun group around you. My Discord would be like six burnouts. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a time and place for that. I would be very down to join that. <laughs> I, I think my community is best in group text. I don't think anyone else wants to join. But I, I think your second question is good. And we should close on that, which was how do you tell if it's working essentially? What's the way to kind of figure this out? And I think it's when your community managers aren't. I think it's when your community managers are more engaged in listening versus actively managing and steering. And if the community has begun to guide you versus you steering the community, that's probably an indication of, it's proof of life, if you will. It's not success. It's not the end point. But if you reach that point at a minimum, you're onto something and your community actually is versus a astroturf collection of users that you're hoping will somehow spontaneously assemble into a community. It means you've built something that's really hard to replicate and people spend their entire careers trying to do that. So I don't think it's something that you need to accomplish year one, two, ten. But I agree, it is the best benchmark of a community working and kind of being a flywheel. I think a lot about how investors bringing community into their strategy originally kind of was like a red flag. I was like, this is literally capitalism using community for more capitalism. But I mean, I know I've really changed my mindset on that because I'm starting to see it as that is the easiest growth hack for an emerging fund manager who is really good at connecting people and maybe doesn't need to win deals in like the more schmoozy sense, but more in like the earnest, let me help you find your next head of talent sense. And so to me, it's like the differentiator between a lot of the emerging fund managers right now. Bringing this back to... Epic Games and Bandcamp to kind of complete the loop here. Epic Games has built a, it's definitely a community. Their platform is sufficiently popular, sufficiently culturally relevant, sufficiently active. It is by definition a community, even if it doesn't really fit exactly the way we've been talking about it, I think it still works. And to be clear, we're drawing fuzzy lines, not hard lines. Yeah. Bandcamp also has a community and a fandom. And if you go and read its publication, you can tell they really care about their thing. And so what I'm hoping to see from a community perspective is that the Bandcamp community and general ethos can exert a pull on Epic Games itself. And that would be listening to community. That would be buying a community and then being a good steward of it. If instead Epic tries to instill its own ethos, community, and general vibe onto Bandcamp, I think what we're going to see is Bandcamp fold like a house of cards underneath an elephant or whatever. So hopefully they let it orbit and then exert its own pull and then learn from it. That would be 
intelligently buying community and infusing it to capitalism, in my view. You know a community is healthy when like the people who traditionally may appear to have the most influence aren't the ones that are having the most influence fundamentally. Are there mechanisms in place for a Bandcamp user to give feedback to Epic Games? And I actually don't think that's too optimistic of us to hope for. I'm not saying I join Bandcamp and send an email to Epic CEO. But more like, are there <laughs> avenues? Not? I know, right? I'm like, I'll do that if I was creating a community. <laughs> well, like, for example, you could just say, you know, what we're going to do now inside of pick a title, let's say Fortnite, because stick to that one example. There's going to be a radio stream that plays and it's just going to be Bandcamp recordings. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a percentage of the money generated while that stream is running for people that are listening to it. And we're going to push that money back into Bandcamp. Here's a way to leverage the platform community of Epic Games as a way to funnel attention and dollars to these artists who otherwise don't have a lot of attention and dollars. So why not? That would be dope. I would be here for that. I bet everyone in Bandcamp would love to have extra distribution and extra ducats in their pockets. Why not? But if instead they tried to, I'm trying to think about what would Epic do that was, that would be stupid. Like whatever it is, if they did the dumb thing, we wouldn't see that and people wouldn't be as happy. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect note to end on. I mean, that is really where I hope we can leave everyone, which is like, we know that you can't buy a community. We know that doesn't work. That will make everything fold. So like there really is no other option to treat community beyond a vessel for capitalism long-term. So the big focus is how to balance it, how to make sure that you're creating a space that isn't just for your power users or just for new people, but really for everyone. And then Alex, I think your point on how to look for benchmarks and how to know when a community is working is also a really important thing for people to keep in mind. And it's not going to happen day one, so it's kind of hard to predict that's going to happen, but it, it should happen if you're doing things right. I'm just laughing because podcasting is the exact opposite of a community because we sit here and talk and then other people listen and we don't listen back. And maybe we should work on that this year. Oh my God. I actually, I think I was telling someone about this. I was like, I'm kind of happy that podcasting has such shitty social channels because I would hate to get live feedback. (laughs) Like I don't want any feedback. Everyone's like, you made that joke before. You can't make it again. I'm like, I did? Right? Imagine if Spotify had a comment section. Oh my gosh. Let's wrap before we get into YouTube comment jokes. But (laughs) Natasha, thank you for having me on as always. Oh my God, so fun. Thank you for talking about community beyond capitalism. And to everyone else, we will see you on Hopin on Thursday. We're doing a live show. We'll link the link to sign up in the show notes. It's free. And for people who can't tune in, we will miss you. But you will hear us on the feed as always on Friday morning. Bye.